We're going to be in the book of Ruth, the third chapter, if you want to turn there, or we're going to have the verses on the screen. Um, I feel like I always say this after like a baptism and then music time, like what, what else am I going to say at this point, you know? Um, but this is the last Sunday in the book of Ruth. We've been here in November. And as you'll see, there are these little handouts on the end of the row because Advent starts next Sunday. And so in this little guide, there's everything that you'll need to know about all the stuff we have going on during Advent. And I'll cover that uh, here at the end. But today we wrap up the book of Ruth. And Ruth is, is, a, is a story that is filled with people making choices. Over and over again, they're making choices. And that might sound a little obvious because life, it's kind of how life is. You know, we're constantly choosing this or this and all that. But I'm not talking about the, um, the little choices in life. I'm talking about like these are these, uh, like how am I going to handle this situation? How am I going to handle this person? Uh, you're kind of faced with two options. And uh, how do I know which one is, like which, which way to go with this? Over and over and over again, there are these choices throughout the book of Ruth. And I went through the book this week and, and identified 18 different, like, pivotal moments in the story where I, someone could have chosen to go this way, but, the, but they chose to go this way. 18 different times was a choice made. And there's a pattern within all the, of those choices. Is one, they're all embedded in a relationship. So it wasn't so much, you know, what to have for dinner kind of choices. It's, it's, more, it's these bigger things that have to do with people. But over and over and over again, there's, these choices were made uh, in, in a way that, that I, I talked about in the very first week as we got into Ruth. There's this, this concept, there's this word in the Old Testament called hesed. And it's found all throughout the Old Testament. It's very similar to the New Testament word agape. They're, they're, they're serious. Uh, I mean, they're similar. Uh, and they're both about love, but it's love falls way, way short. Like our English word love doesn't really capture everything that agape means in the Greek or hesed means in Hebrew. Um, hesed is, it is this deep, loyal loving commitment that you have made. This is, it's the love your neighbor as one of your own. It's, it's the good Samaritan stopping to help the wounded man. It is what we see in, in Jesus when we're like, what, what is it about the way that he loves people? Has said would be, would be the word. It's translated different ways of, of kindness and steadfast love and those kinds of things. And so it has this just all of this connotation to it, but it has everything to do with, with putting the needs of someone else ahead of your own and, and doing what is best for them. As it is loving them in a way that is, that is loyal and committed to their good. And it's what God has called his people to. And so God, uh, he doesn't call his people to do things he doesn't also do himself. And so his commitment to his people is to enter into this covenant and, his, and to engage with his people in a very specific way that is summed up in this word has said. And then he tells us to do the same thing for one another. And so when he has this, this group of people in the Old Testament that are his, and if 
they are loving each other with Hesed, the way that he has loved them with Hesed. Then as people from other nations travel through and they stop along the way in Israel somewhere and they're just kind of stunned by the way that these people love one another and where and how they take care of the stranger and they take care of the widows and they take care of the orphans and they take care of the poor. He said, yeah, yeah I want this love to be happening. And as people come through and they begin to ask questions, then the answer becomes, well, they serve, they serve Yahweh. That's, that's why they do this. In fact, a, a few weeks ago, when um, a group of us went to Maison de Ami to get ready for the, the Christmas party that's coming up, we sat down with each of the residents and went through their wish list to make sure we knew you know, all the details and things. And as we were leaving, one of the, one of the guys stopped me and he said, he said, why do y'all do this? I said, what do you, what do you mean? He said, why? What makes y'all want to come ask us what we want for Christmas and then go and buy it and then bring it to us? Why would you do that? And the answer, which I didn't tell him has said, but the answer is has said. Like that's, 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 what, that's what it is. And so throughout the book of Ruth, there, these choices that are being made are being consistently made for the, the, out of that deep, loyal, committed love for one another acting for each other's good. And so I don't want to I don't want to go through all 18 of them in recapping the story, but let me just let me do a flyover of, of uh, a bunch of them because sometimes that kind of love when you contextualize it in everyday life, it's kind of hard to know what that looks like. And so it shows up in a bunch of different ways. It starts off with with a with parents mom, dad, two young boys, there's a famine choosing to uproot and go to another country because there's no food for your family. That's Hesed in, in action. That's what led to that. They get to the other country and, and the, the sons marry local women. That's Hesed. There's Hesed in, your, in the covenant and the commitment of marriage uh, that's found there. Turns out that the dad and the two boys, they all pass away. And so you have three widows. And the, the, the mom decides to, she says, I'm going to go back to, to our homeland. And she frees her two daughters-in-law from their obligation to take care of her. She, she's like, I'm going to cut you loose because that's what's best for you is if you don't have to worry about me. So I'm going to go back to the homeland. You stay here. You get married. You have a future ahead of you. That's Hesed. Her, her desire was what's best for them, forsaking her what would be maybe best for her. One of them agrees... The other one says, no, uh, you are my people. Like you, you are family with me. So where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. Where you die, I die. Your God is my God. And so she is uh, saying, I know that you're trying to have said me, but I'm going to have said you actually. And uh, I'm not going anywhere. And so there's that commitment between Ruth and Naomi. Um, when they get to where they're, when they get back home, Ruth decides to go to work and labor in order to bring food back to Naomi. That's what Hesed does. Moms and dads, you go to work, you work hard so that your kids have something to eat and a roof over their heads. That's, that, that, is, a, that is a Hesed decision. Um, they, uh, she finds herself working in a, in a field with a landowner named Boaz, and, and Boaz had all these crops, and he had made a choice to be generous with his crops 
and to let the poor and the widow and the sojourner come in after his workers would go through and anything that they dropped on the ground they could pick up and keep for themselves. He made a choice to be generous and not only generous with your family, but he's being generous with complete strangers. So his said is not only to those that you know, it's also to those that you do not know. Um, that is has said, then he finds out that Ruth is one of the ones coming as one of the, the, the poor widows coming in to, um, to collect barley and stuff like that. He finds out who she is. He goes the extra mile to make sure that she's safe. He tells his, all his guy workers, like, do not lay a hand on her. So has said that there's a, a choice to, to protect the vulnerable. Um, then he also like, like make sure that she has enough to take back to her mother-in-law. And so he's providing. And so has said as a choice to provide for those who can't provide for themselves. Um, then Naomi, uh, and this is, this is where, uh, this is where it gets a little bit dicey. And so I'm going to come back to this in a few minutes, but Naomi recognizes that Ruth has found favor in the eyes of, of this landowner named Boaz. And so she knows that the best thing for Ruth is to, is to marry someone. To be a young widow in Israel was, was, a very, it was a very uncertain future. And so she knows that the best thing that Ruth, Ruth found favor in his eyes, there's something there. She needs to marry him. I want to make that happen. And, and so she is choosing what is best for Ruth in that choice as well. Um, so we're going to pick up in chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 9. So what Naomi tells her to do in going to, like, basically she's like, I'm, I'm going to create a scenario where uh, Ruth is going to let Boaz know that she's no longer in mourning and she's ready to get married. So she tells her to go in um, at the end of the work day because all, they would have been on the threshing floor uh, preparing all the barley and everything. And at the end of the day, they have a meal and then all the workers, they sleep with all of the grain as a way of protecting it. And so they're all kind of scattered around uh, around the pile of grain. She says, go to him uh, after, after he is asleep and uh, lay down at his feet and un- uncover, uncover his feet with a blanket or whatever. And then uh, he'll tell you what to do from there. So uh, this is a situation that makes zero sense to us as Americans. It would have made a lot more sense to them. And so we're just going to go with that and pick up in verse 9. This is what Boaz says when he wakes up. He says, who, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. For you are a redeemer. Now, she is not supposed to say anything. Naomi told her, just lay there. And then when he wakes up, he'll, he'll know what to do in this situation. Because, you know, he, this, is, this is how it works here. And he wakes up, and instead of her just letting him give the cue, she's like, just blurts this, this out. Like, I'm your servant. Um, spread your wings over me. Because you are a redeemer. She makes a choice in this moment to go off script. She does something in this moment that, is, that, that I'm going to come back to uh, kind of at the end because it kind of all ties up at the end of the story. But she makes a choice in that moment to like shoot straight with him. This is not a situation that you need to interpret. There's no mystery here. There's no, no, nothing like that. She is being completely straightforward with him. And it turns out that in this moment, she's actually advocating for Naomi. 
not for herself, which we'll get to in a minute. But she makes a choice to go off script. So that, in case you're like keeping up, that's choice number nine. Choice number 10, uh, look at verse, verse 10. So his response is this. He says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. So he makes a choice in this moment. Now, think about the setting. It's midnight. They're pretty much alone. She has approached him. He's woken up, and here's, here's this woman who's like, spread your wings over me uh, and be my redeemer. He makes a choice in that moment to not take advantage of the situation. More importantly, it's not to take advantage of her. That has said does not use people for to, for our own pleasure and our own enjoyment and all those kinds of things. There's there is no using others with has said. He makes a choice, and so instead of using and taking advantage of the moment, like a lot of men would have, he decides to affirm her. And speak God's blessings over her, and talk about well, like what it, what this means to him internally. This is a very this is a tender moment, but but one that's filled with integrity and, and with goodness. Then, verse eleven. Sorry, I got lost for a second. Verse eleven. He says, "And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask." For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He agrees to be her redeemer. He, he chooses to go along with what, with what she is proposing. What The background information on that is that to be a redeemer, was it was a very high cost. It cost you financially. It had social implications. Like It, it, was, it was a big deal, and it required him to give up a lot in order for this to happen. And Hesed is choosing to sacrifice on, like, for the sake of other people. That's, that's a part of, of what you're willing to do. Can we keep going for the sake of time? Verse 12. Um, he says, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Okay? Hesed has integrity to it. So what, is, what does he mean there's a redeemer nearer than I? So being a redeemer had everything to do with keeping the land that was given by God to his people split into tribes to try to keep the land within the family and to try to keep the family name intact. And so if, if a, man, uh, a man and his wife, if, they, uh, if the man passes away, his inheritance goes to his son. If the man does not have a son, then his brother can marry the widow, and then they would have a child, have a son, and then it would go to to that son. And so it was this very organized way of keeping the family name, and then you would redeem the land. If the family had to sell the land, then first dibs went to certain relatives. And so what Boaz is doing in this moment is he's saying, yes, I am related to Naomi's late husband, but if we're going to do this right, technically there's a redeemer that is a closer relative than I am. So again, he could have just said whatever it took in the moment for things to go his way, but he has this high degree of integrity that says, I'm going to be your redeemer and I'm going to do it the right way. And that begins with me being honest with you, that there technically is a redeemer that is in line ahead of me. 
has said in acting on the good of another is not going to compromise uh, the integrity and the holiness by which we do it. So he tells her that. And then verse 13, he says, remain tonight and in the morning. Uh, if he will redeem you, meaning the closer relative, then good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So he's choosing to, rather than send her away in the night, which would be dangerous for her, he's like, no, stay here. It's safer for you here. Um, and he makes sure that no one, there's no rumors being started of like, you know who I saw sneaking away, walk of shame, you know, like he's making sure that that doesn't happen. And so he's considering her and he's taking again, those steps to protect her reputation, to protect her safety. Verse 15, he makes another choice. It says, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it, uh, put it on her. And then she went into the city when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So he chooses, rather than sending her back empty-handed, Uh, Here's this situation. He's probably overwhelmed, but he has the wherewithal to say, hey, here's a bunch of food just in case, you know, go back to your mother-in-law. His integrity remains so high and his generosity remains so high. And he's constantly choosing to do what is best for her, um, that, that, that their needs and putting them ahead of himself is more important than his profits or his money or anything, anything else like that. Um, So it's yet another choice. Then we get to chapter four. Okay, so let me just hit pause really quickly. I know that I'm talking very, very fast, but I think, every, I think it's important to see these 18 choices one time after another. Naomi's putting someone else ahead of herself. Ruth is doing the same thing. Uh, Boaz is doing the same thing. Over and over and over again, they're choosing that said love. We get to chapter four. This is when it really gets interesting to me. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down, and behold, the, re- the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. He turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and the presence of the elders of of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. If you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Okay, so, so basically Boaz gathers the, like the elders of the town and gathers the guy and is like, we're going to do this real estate deal right now. And so he with no warning, no explanation is like Naomi's like she, that land needs to be redeemed. Um, there's two of us in line. You're ahead of me. Uh, if you want it, it's yours. If not, I'll take it. And so this is like this, like impromptu, like real estate deal. Now land was really valuable at that point. 
Like this was, this would have been big, big money. This would have been the, the wheelers and dealers of the community gathered together to do this. And so he, he pitches it to the Redeemer. The Redeemer says, hey, it's fine with me. Because when Naomi passes away, uh, having no male heirs, then it would all go to him. And so it's in his best interest to redeem it. And then Boaz, who's just a boss, he does this. He says, oh, by the way, that's my little edit. By the way, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. So he's like, hey, it's not just land. It's also, uh, of course, Naomi, but also Ruth, the Moabite. And that changes the whole deal. Because if, if he inherits, so to speak, Ruth, um, and she were to have a son, then that divides up this man's inheritance among his own children. And so it waters down who gets what, and it, it compromises everything he's been working toward, and kind of, it really throws a big wrench into his plans. And so it's actually financially, in his, it's not in his favor, it's actually against him financially to take this on now. And so, verse 6, the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So, Boaz makes a choice. He makes a choice to, to drive this redemption process in such a way that he refuses to let it only be about land. Like, it sounds like he's being manipulative, but he knows how land, land deals work. He knows that this guy does not care about Naomi. He's ready for her to die so he can get her land. He's not going to take care of her. It has nothing to do with her. It is not in her best interest that this redeemer first in line get, uh, get that land. What is better is for him to say no. So that it comes to Boaz. And so he drives this process, refusing to let it be about land instead of it being about people. That's what Hesed does. Hesed makes everything, it, it takes everything and it makes it this, this relational choice that's going on. So, so your money stops being money. And it has to do with the, the relational impact that money can have. The time that you have in your week, it stops being this thing that you're trying to like budget and get everything done and all that. And it becomes about the people that you're spending the time with. Friendships and, and business relationships and coworkers and neighbors, they, they stop falling into just those, those like broad headings and they start to become like, these are the people that I live my life with. And so those choices take on new life when they're not about land anymore. When it's not about the mechanics of life and it's about the people. That's how God is toward Israel. Through Jesus, that's God, how he is towards church, and that's what he's called us to be toward one another. And so Boaz here, is, he's, like, he's like, I know exactly how to keep this from being just a land deal and being something that actually blesses the widows that we're trying to take care of and the family that we're trying to save. And so he gets it done. That was choice 15, by the way. 16, um, this is, this is a kind of strange, but it's just a custom. Uh, look at verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So like, that's how you like, closed the deal as you took off a shoe and gave it to him. Like, appreciate it. 
So then the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. He drew off his sandal. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day that I have bought the land of Naomi and all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in this inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So in all that, Boaz made the choice to pay what it, like to do what it would cost him to redeem uh, this land and to save this family. Let's keep going. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went in to her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who's not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So we see the marriage, the commitment that has said of Boaz and Ruth. And a lot of times people look at this and they're like, well, that's, this is this big romantic love story. But it, it's, there's romance. I mean, obviously there's a connection between Ruth and, and Boaz and there's love there, but not like we think it is. There's, this is not like a, the heart eye emoji story that, that we like to make it. And here's where it turns right here at the end. Look at verse um, eight, uh, 16, sorry. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap. And he became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What, is this, what does this mean? I mean? It sounds like Ruth and Boaz had a child, and they were like, free child care, grandma, there you go. But what that is actually going on here is they gave the baby to Naomi. Which, what that means is like, if you were to like, it's like in one of those movies or you get to the end of the movie and there's like some montage that's like flashing back to everything that led up to this, like usual suspects style, you know? You go back to the threshing floor when Ruth goes off script and tells Boaz, um, you're, you are a redeemer, spread your wings over your servant. She goes off script and he knows it. And the plan was to do what was best for Naomi, which was to redeem the land and to give her an heir. In order to do that, Boaz had to marry Ruth. He stands in for Elimelech's brother that he didn't have. Ruth stands in for Naomi, who is no longer going to have children. And together, they brought redemption to Naomi and to the land, and they furthered the name of Elimelech. It cost him tons of money. 
It cost them both a child. Hesed will cost us. It does. Sometimes more than others. That's 18 choices I just ran through really, really quickly. But look at the very, very end. Verse 18. Now, to you and me, this this means a little bit, but it would have been a lot to them. It says, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered uh, Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon? Salmon? Not sure. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. Where does the line of David lead to? Jesus. So here you have these three people. Naomi is doing what is best for Ruth and for Boaz. Ruth is doing what's best for Boaz and best for Naomi. Boaz is doing what's best for Ruth and best for Naomi. They're all, all that has said love is happening. Just doing these really natural things. We read it and they were like, well, yeah, that's what family does. That's what people do. They're not doing these like extravagant, huge, mind-blowing things. It's these simple things, willing to sacrifice for one another. They're just doing this thing that sounds familiar, right? They're, they're doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, they're counting others more significant than themselves. They're looking not only to their own interests, but also the interests of others. They're not counting equality a thing to be grasped, but emptying themselves, taking the form of a servant. They're humbling themselves by becoming obedient. And where does it lead? Well, God highly exalted them so that ultimately at the end of the story, the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the, that's the trajectory of Hesed in this story, but that's the trajectory of Hesed in your life and my life. That that is the revelation of Jesus over and over and over and over again. We see Jesus in all 18 of these choices. And he's created it to where people see Jesus in every one of your choices as well. Has said toward your spouse, has said toward your kids, has spouse toward your family, has said toward your, your friends, toward your coworkers, toward your neighbors. Every relational choice that we make when, when we are doing this thing. Jesus is revealed. It's amazing to me that in, G- in his human DNA, he's got this kind of faith and this kind of love. And he is this embodiment of this perfect thing. So this fits into your life. This is what he's, this is what he's called you to. It's what he's called me to. And my prayer is that I'll start to wake up in, in those relational choice moments and recognize like, oh, this is a Hesed moment. In my story that he's writing, this is one of my moments that would make the cut of, uh, you know, if ever there's a biography about me, which there won't be, but it's fine. But like this is, a, this is a pivotal moment. This is not just a casual thing. This is a significant thing. And if we are all doing that for one another the way that they're doing that for one another here, God writes this incredible story where he's the star of it. Because that's who the hero of the story is. It isn't Boaz or Ruth or Naomi. It's look how God is, look what he's done in these lives. The same thing for us. Let me pray for us. Let's stand.
As as we're standing, I, I want you just to take a minute and I want you to just embrace the fact that this applies to your life. That that every day you are in situations where um, you can have that relational, deep, committed love for people that you know and for people that are complete strangers. That that what they are doing is no different than what you are called to do and are able to do. And this is not, it's an old story, but it's not one that's far away from us. It's, it's very near and dear to us. God, I'm thankful. I pray that you would help us to see those decisions, those choices that we're making as, as significant. That we would, would be able to really understand that by having that deep and committed, loyal love, for the for the stranger and for our family and everywhere in between then that's you're able to to do something beautiful with that with those simple choices we know that you're 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 writing this incredible story in the book of Ruth and through that comes the bloodline that would redeem us all And so, God, I'm thankful that we can, can track your care and your, your said toward us through our lives. And pray that we would be faithful to bring that into the workplace and into the neighborhood and into our homes, apartments, and dorms. And, and so whatever that looks like, God, I pray that you would show us and equip us to put this into action, that, that we would learn from their example and learn from the example of Jesus. And bring that into all of our relationships. God, we love you. We thank you. I pray this in your name. Amen. We, we have a few different ways that we respond here at Living Hope. And um, just for these closing moments, uh, we like to give, give you a chance to sort of digest whatever God has stirred within you. It could be from the baptism. It could be from songs. It could be from the story of Ruth. It could be from a handshake or a hug that you got. But before we dismiss and everyone kind of goes into, into whatever's next, I'd like to give some time and let the Lord just kind of seal that in. And so we'll sing, and uh, there are two communion lines that are here at the front, and you're welcome in the communion line. You don't have to be a member of this church. Uh, you take the bread, you dip it in the juice, and, and as you take that communion, it's this reminder that Jesus is offering you everything that you need for life and godliness in himself. And so you're welcome in our, in our line. There'll be a few of us here on the front row that would love to pray with you. If, if you have questions about following Jesus, about what, the, what all of this means, or if there's something specific going on in your life, you just want someone to pray with you, we'll be on the front row, or you can come here kneel at the front. Um, we'll just have a time of response as the band leads us in some songs. And so whatever you need to do in these moments to really uh, hold on to what God's doing, uh, now's the time.